You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Ed. No matter how many guys get injured on this team, they just keep winning. You have to appreciate the attitude, the offense, and the way that it's next man up and everybody just keeps playing right now on the White Sox. Well, yeah, and and that's what you want from a championship contending team, right? We we were talking about this, I think, last year when we were comparing the White Sox to the Dodgers, where the Dodgers always seem to have a guy that can just step in, and you never heard of the dude necessarily. It's not like, you know, oh, we got all-star after all-star, but there's always some other guy that just steps onto the field, gets the job done, keeps the team rolling along, and you don't really have to worry or think about it unless it's something absolutely catastrophic and not say, you know, Aloy Jimenez following a baseball off of his ankle, which had to hurt so bad. I mean, it just had to sting in that weather in particular. So I understood why they took him out. Plus, I, I really do honestly think that Larry Garcia's new contract does require that he either start or find a way to replace some player in every single game. <laughs> this episode of Socks in the Basement brought to you by the Southtown's best in 2021 as voted by the Daily Southtown. We're talking about family waterproofing solutions for bowing walls, window wells, foundation and crack repair. You got concrete raising and falling. That's a foundation issue. You need somebody to look at that sump pump, whatever it is, crawl space encapsulation. They do everything. Family-owned, veteran-owned, and operated since they began in 2013. They are available 24-7 at 708-330-4466. Mention Socks in the Basement. You get a good, solid discount. FamilyDry.com is where you go to see what a difference a family makes. I'm going to tell you this right now. Uh, At some point, I'm looking forward to the ballpark promotion. That uh, one lucky fan gets to bat ninth in this lineup, and they still win by three. Oh, yeah. Like, that's that's how I feel right now with all the injuries. Look, you can't play the entire season with Jake Berger as your starting third baseman and Larry Garcia as your second baseman and, like, some of these other. But when you're when you're able to move guys in and out, I, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm very confident in LaRusse's ability to handle it because he had to deal with so many injuries last year. I mean, this team is battle-tested. You know, 2021 battle-tested this team and taught them an awful lot of lessons. And and now 2022, early on, I'm seeing the team, the players on the field, learn from those kind of things. Uh, you know, uh, we just had uh, James Vegan on a couple of weeks ago from The Athletic. He wrote an article that came out uh, this week. And he, he breaks down how they stuck with their game plan against Robbie Ray and draws parallels between sticking with your game plan against Robbie Ray in that game and letting the offense come to you instead of forcing things and jumping off of your game plan like they did against the Astros, especially against Lance McCullers. Lessons were learned in 2020 and really a lot of them in 2021 that makes me not worry so much about the injuries and makes me not worry so much about the the 162 games to get to the postseason and, and, and actually makes me feel good about what they might be able to do in the postseason different from what they did last postseason. Well, yeah, and consider, too, that you're, you're still seeing in this early going some things that we knew were going to happen, like Jose Abreu is always a bit of a slow starter, right? It takes him a little bit of time to get going. So he's not 
hot by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Aloy Jimenez hasn't been hitting great. I mean, he's been good, but you know, he's not what you know what he would be at his best. You're missing Yoan Moncada completely. So yeah, you know, that's a guy that could be a huge X factor for this team. And you really haven't, honestly, you haven't seen that much Gavin Sheets, right? So you, there's guys that we were we were going into the season thinking this is going to be a key guy, and not so much. You know that 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 you're seeing some some backups get the job done, and it's partially because, like you said, they are really kind of sticking to their own game. And when you see somebody like Adam Engel come in uh, on opening day, for example, he comes in, goes into right field. And, you know, what does he do? His first at-bat, he just dumps a single into right field. And that is Adam Engel's best game when he's not playing every day, right? Is when he's just trying to get on base and be a little bit more of a Scotty Pods, for example, than he is trying to be another Tim Anderson or Luis Robert or something like that. So as long as these guys continue to know their role and are happy to put the team first and say, okay, this is a scouting report. This is what I know I can do against Robbie Ray, or this is what I know I can do against the Mariners bullpen. You know, just even being ready to go and having that positional versatility that they've wanted where you have a guy like Josh Harrison, who I know he's got a you know tight back right now, but he can move around the infield. He can play a really good third base. He, you know, he can play a really good second base. Larry Garcia, for whatever else you want to say for him, he is a versatile guy, and even Andrew Vaughn, that's been a huge thing that's been said about him too, is not only does his bat look like it might come around this year and that he really learned from last year, which is what you would expect and hope, but they also do like the fact that he is a guy that has played now really three infield positions and two outfield positions in basically one full season of baseball. What did you see with Dallas Keuchel? I know you you want to talk about this real quick. Uh, Dallas uh, in my mind, is benefiting from the fact that Josh Harrison is sitting behind him and that combination with uh, uh, he and Tim Anderson and also the field was wet, really wet in his start. So a ground ball pitcher benefits from it. But what did you see? Well, yeah, first of all, that is absolutely true. He's got a much more with Harrison and Tim Anderson behind him in the middle of the infield. Dallas Keuchel, Aaron Bummer, Guys who throw ground balls are going to benefit so much more from the athleticism behind them than this isn't necessarily saying that Cesar Hernandez didn't cover a decent amount of ground, but he's he was not the glove he was in his youth. Harrison still has maintained his his range, and Nick Madrigal was never really known for having a huge range. Let's face it; I mean, he's a good second baseman, but Keuchel did benefit from that and having better infield defense. But one of the things, and I also looked at Vince Velasquez because, you know, the question is like, well, how are these guys? Is it smoke and mirrors? Are they just, are they better? Are they doing something different? And the answer is, is that it looks like Ethan Katz has, has messed with their pitch mix and how, what they throw. In 2021, Dallas Keuchel for the season threw his slider a whopping 7.1% of the time. He threw 40% fastballs. 24% cutters, 28% changeups. In his start, he threw twice as many sliders as he normally would. He threw 13, 14% of the time he threw sliders. He only threw fastballs. So this is this is essentially for him the sinker. He only threw a sinker about 30% of the time. He was throwing sliders and cutters and he actually kept the changeup right around where it had been in years prior. So he was looking more like say Robbie Ray in terms of his pitch mix, 
than he was sort of classic Dallas Keuchel where he's trying to throw that that sinker, that heavy sinker, and get the ground balls. And the difference is, is that his slider, because of the speed and the rotation on it, is actually a swing and miss pitch for him. And the cutter has that same action too, just a little bit harder. So it changes Dallas Keuchel from being a ground ball pitcher to being a guy who's trying to buy strikes or get swings and misses, which causes guys to get weak contact because they don't know what's coming. And Vince Velasquez is the same kind of situation. He never threw a sinker last year. I, I mean, never threw a sinker last year. And he threw a ton of curveballs. He threw his curveball almost 20% of the time for most of the year. He went from, in this start with the White Sox, 20% curveballs and about 5% sinkers to 14% sinkers, and he threw basically one curveball the entire game. The rest of it was sinker, slider, changeup, and then his fastball. So Katz had him, or McGuire had him anyway, throwing like a ground ball pitcher, throwing the contact instead of being a strikeout pitcher. He's trying to buy strikes with a, with a curveball, which I'm guessing was probably getting absolutely blasted last year. We, we had the good fortune of not watching Vince Velasquez pitch in a White Sox uniform in 2021. It, it does look like there is an adjustment that Keuchel did look at what he was doing and has made a change and tried to change what he is. And that... Perhaps there was something that they saw in Vince Velasquez saying, like, this, look, if we can get this guy to pitch to contact and not try and be a strikeout pitcher, maybe we can actually get some success for him. Opening day, Cork and Carey and Ed and I are out here post-game, and uh, not a bad game, even though Liam Hendricks made me nervous. But I think that's what he's going to do, right? He's just going to make us nervous and then make us stand out here at a bar afterwards. Pretending like our nerves aren't frayed. Right, and drink the jitters away. Right, yeah. Huge crowd out here. Things you need to check out at Cork and Carry this year. Uh, first of all, the award-winning burgers are being are being handed out on wooden home plates. Just aesthetically, it makes me feel good when I yeah, come out. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just like the I like the look of it, you know. And this is clearly the place to be. I mean, this is the most packed, most fun, uh, best food. Just. Just the place to be before and after the game. We were here before the game. We're here after the game. And I think it's just the liveliest place to be uh, before and after the game at a White Sox game. Absolutely. In fact, it's one of those things where if you want to make sure that you don't have the frayed nerves, come out while Graveman's pitching the eighth, come to Cork and Carey, get the burger, get another drink, and then you won't have to worry about what happened on the field. Cork and Carey at the park. Bill Guide, he owns the bar, and man, you have got to just love this opening day. Your place has been wall-to-wall before the game, after the game, and just a lot of really fun times out here. You got the brand-new plates for the burgers. They look like home plate. What, what was the idea behind that? You just kind of saw that someplace? You're like, we're going to start serving our burgers on home plate? Honestly, I didn't. I really didn't see it anywhere. I just... You know, the little hamster just keeps running. Yeah. Just thought it'd be a cool little novelty idea for this season, and we debuted it today, and it's been pretty well received. Yeah, the crowd is, uh, you know, it's pretty good. Couple, couple, uh, two, three, four people. It's yeah. all right. Yeah, that's a couple people are here. Just a, just a few people are here. Uh, you are probably going to have a great summer out here. I mean, what is the anticipation level after you see what they did last year? and knowing what the season's going to be like, and you went through a short playoff stint last year where you had people out here for Game 3 and Game 4. Like, What's the anticipation for what the year is going to be like for you? I think if the Sox play like they're capable of playing and management fills a couple of these short-term holes that we need to be filled, yes, it's going to be, a, it's going to be an exciting summer for, for all of us Sox fans. Yeah, and Were you nervous with Vince Velasquez on the mound today? Not gonna, absolutely, weren't you? Go <laughs> Sox! 
<laughs> and he had a one-hitter through four, I think. I know, that was shocking. Well, Luis Robert had to make an amazing play in the outfield. That's the guy. I think that's the whole guy, man. If he's if he plays all year and he's healthy, he's going to will this team to win. Well, somebody's got to be this year's germinator, right? Yeah, well, hopefully better than that. Yeah. Hopefully you last more. Well, we need a couple months. <laughs> and then uh, hopefully those guys will be back full strength. All right, 33rd in Princeton. This is the place before and after White Sox games. If you don't have a ticket, you want to watch the game, come on over. If they're away, it's a great spot to watch them, especially on Mondays. You still got the two-for-one burgers, award-winning burgers out here, amazing food. And let me be honest, you don't run out of anything. You know, you don't run out of a thing. Every time I show up here, you got everything on the menu. You're doing well. Um, we're a little low on Miller Lite today, Chris. <laughs> Well, it is the south side. That's right. Thank you guys. Keep up the great work. You and Ed, seriously, do a fantastic job. It's fun to listen to. Fun to be a part of. Joining me on the phone line right now from Sox on 35th. We've had him on before. He goes under the call sign on Twitter, at Millennial Sox. He is Adam Kaplan. And he writes amazing articles like one that pointed out something that I've kind of alluded to already on the show. We have an incredible amount of depth right now on this White Sox team. How are you, Adam? I'm doing well. How are you, Chris? Overall, I'm happy with the start of the season. This team looks good, but I'm convinced, I'm convinced, Adam, that at some point a fan will be dragged out of the stands and they will have to bat ninth because there are so many injuries. You wrote an article at SoxOn35th.com that I thought was good where you talked about the depth of this team. We've seen it on display so far. You seem confident that they can weather the storm, right? I will say I did write this article on Monday. It got posted on Wednesday, and this podcast is going to get released on Friday. And in that time, my optimism has waned a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but I... I mean, I literally, I think right after the article got posted, you know, Eloy and Josh Harrison um, left this game and weren't playing on Thursday. But all that being said, I do feel optimistic that the depth, especially compared to last year, the depth on the team is pretty good. I quite enjoy it. And, you know, every team is going to have injuries. You're going to have 10-day, now 15-day IL stints that's going to happen. It's kind of unfortunate that the Sox seem to have everyone doing it at the same time. But, yeah, I, I do think that for these stints, the Sox do have much better depth. To, they do have players that I feel much more confident in to help fill the gap and to help keep this team afloat while our starters get some rest and uh, get healthy. Listen, Thursday's lineup had Jimmy Lambert starting. You had Jake Berger standing over at third base, Leary Garcia over at second with his subpart defense. I think he's got more errors than anybody else on the team right now. Me may be the only guy with errors on the team. I'd have to check that again. Okay, Uh, you had Gavin Sheets over at first. You had Vaughn out in the outfield. You had Engel out in the outfield. You had the backup catcher, Reese McGuire. It, It was basically the kind of team you would have expected to be on the field two years ago. But even when they're at their weakest, they're still competitive. You highlighted a couple guys in this article entitled, At Last the White Sox Have Depth at SoxOn35th.com. And one of the guys you highlighted was Reese McGuire. Tell me a little bit about this guy and why White Sox fans 
should feel confident when he steps in and Yasmani Grandal is either the DH or on the bench taking a day off? So I, first, I need to preface it with, I was really over the Zach Collins experience. Um, I kind of think from the little I've seen on Twitter, fans are already getting a little taste of what us White Sox fans had to suffer through um, in 2021. But the, the first game that Reasonable Buyers started, and like the first or second inning, he just throws a dart to throw out the runner in uh, one of the Tigers games. And it's like, oh my God, we have a catcher who can play defense. This is great. I, you know, when you want Desmond Grandal's bat in the lineup, you know, I like him a lot. I love him. You know, the knockout is he isn't the greatest defender. I mean, it would be nice on days where you have Reese behind the plate and he's able to provide this incredible defense. And then hopefully the rest of the lineup, including times when he has DHs, help lift him up, even if his bat isn't necessarily the greatest. But you know what? That's fine. I don't need him to be this great offensive player, especially with the team that the Sox have now. If he's going to provide this great defense, I love it. Is there a guy coming off the bench right now that you're like, if we only had room for him, like he's a bench guy, but he probably could start on this team. Like I, in my mind right away, like a Vaughn or an angle, maybe jump into my head. Like they probably could start if you weren't so stacked. Like, is there a guy that you're like, that's, that's really a starter that we happen to have on the bench. So the guy that comes to mind is uh, Gavin Sheets, especially against righties last year. He absolutely destroyed righties and he's a left-handed bat. You know, something that Rick Hahn claimed that he wanted to get in the offseason. If this lineup is fully healthy, there's really not a place for him because he can't play defense. And with the way Andrew Vaughn's not only been hitting the ball in the early part of the season, but the way we kind of expect, I think most of us, I should say, expect him to hit throughout the rest of the season, there's not really a spot for him. But against righties, in theory, you want that bat in the lineup. Now, with injuries we have now, we saw it in Thursday's game where it's pretty easy to get his bat in the lineup. Um, so on one hand, it is kind of frustrating. You want a youngster to get at bats, but at the same time, shoot, if this guy is just depth piece, this guy who just mashes righties, is we don't have a spot for him, that's great depth to have. That, that's a good problem to have. Exactly. Check out this entire article. It's at SoxOn35th.com. Uh, great analysis. They're doing minor league reports. They're doing game wrap-ups. They're, they're giving you previews of series from the minors through the majors and everything that they're doing. They're doing a great job. And then you have Adam Kaplan over there. He's doing the work, man. He, he's, he's breaking down the backups on this team and telling you, don't worry. It's going to be okay. They'll weather the storm. And I'm going to be honest with you, Adam. I think last year was a character-building year, and this team can handle anything because they handled a lot last year. And as bad as it seems right now with these little injuries and stuff, we're nowhere near the losses we were taking early on in 2021. You're doing a great job. I appreciate you jumping on the show. Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate it. Take care. things that I wasn't uh, super excited about when I went to the home opener. 
there's a, there's a myriad of issues. Like you could you could dive into the scoreboard. Let's say it wasn't really working right. Yuan Moncada, I believe, was batting for the Seattle Mariners and already hitting 500 on the season for three innings on the scoreboard that's uh, behind home plate. They they've got some bugs that they've got to to work out. Um, the one thing I really hate about the scoreboard, I like a lot of the things that they've done with it, and they've got things like launch angle and stuff like that, and they're trying to figure out how to get that up because it, it wasn't showing up, but you could tell they want to get that up there after big hits and things like that. But the yeah. thing that I did not understand is why are we telling opposing batters the scouting reports on our pitchers, what pitches they throw and what percentage of the time they throw them? Why is that going up on the board right there for the batter as he steps in to look up and say, oh, yeah, that's what the report is on the White Sox pitcher. I hate that. Yeah. Okay. I really hate I think you are giving away, like, you know, I know that there are professional baseball players and they all sit down beforehand, but in the in the, in the the moment that the game is happening, there's the possibility the guy forgot the tendency of the relief pitcher coming in that's going to face him in a big moment. And you're putting up there that 82% of the time he likes to throw this pitch. Like why I you know it's cool to show at home. Don't put it on the screen where the batter can see it. That's that's something I I did not like. It bothered me. We laughed about it several times during the game. Like oh here comes this moment and we're telling the opposing batter exactly what our guy throws and when he throws it. Like we're reminding him of it. Like, you know like don't give him any favors in your home ballpark. I don't get that at all. We we literally saw this happen. We watched Ty France walk up to the plate against Aaron Bummer, look at the scoreboard, and kind of nod. You know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm gonna get a sinker. Yeah. Okay. That's stupid. They gotta knock that off. That's really really dumb. You're too cute. You're too cute with the scoreboard showing that. Just don't do that anymore. Uh, the the other things that like kind of irked me a little bit. Like, why aren't the big banners with the championship banners up underneath the lights? Why are they little paintings underneath the kids zone now? I mean, I heard from somebody through another person that they're, they're, they're getting new ones for the lights and this is temporary. It better be. It'd be like, you know, you take down your big giant championship banners and your unveiling on, on the home opener was like a little, a little painting, like on the side of some brick. Like I, I, that was terrible. Please fix that. If that turns into like four giant advertisements that you're selling, that's a bad look. It's kind of embarrassing. But the thing that I really want to get into today is that Jerry Reinsdorf should be concerned about stadium operations and the fact that it not only is costing him money right now, the way that the stadium is being run, but it's going to cost him money in the long term. And I kind of want to just talk about an experience, the experiences that we had at the ballpark at the home opener. And unfortunately, it mirrored any big game that they had last year where they seemed to be completely unprepared for a crowd. And like I said, after the playoffs, I'm going to say it again. How do you not expect a sold out crowd for opening day? How do you not know it's coming? Like, yeah, the date for opening day for the home opener changed, but you knew you were going to have one, right? So when you do this big promotion and you tell everybody, these are these brand new, exciting food options that we have, and they're going to be all over the ballpark and you, and you drill it into them. Like you've got Bonetti and Stone showing it on the screen and everything else like that. Maybe for the home opener, don't order like 500 uh, pretzel wrapped brats for the entire stadium. Like they were gone by the second inning and everything that was all the new stuff that you told people was going to be there wasn't there. Who's in charge of supplies at that place right now? We have a great team on the field and that's the saving grace for the White Sox, but it still will affect the amount of times that you, you go to the food counter. Like here's the thing. 
Eighth inning, I walk back to that crappy food counter in the 300 level that's got barely any options, right? And I go back there and I say, I want to get the nachos grande, like the thing that's got like the chili and the, the salsa and the sour cream. It's the beginning of the eighth inning, right? And I go back there and it's $12.75, whatever. I expect to have to pay a ton of money for whatever I buy in that place. Everything's overpriced, whatever, who cares? I, I You expect it when you walk in. And I order this and after my card is run, she goes, the girl who's doing it behind the counter, she goes, well, all we have is the cheese. I go, what? She goes, all the other stuff is put away. I said, well, then that's a regular nacho. You owe me $4. For the next five minutes, a conversation broke out between two people behind the counter and a guy in a suit who seemed to be in charge of everything until they finally decided that rather than just give me my $4 back, they went down to the kitchen and brought back a tray of chili, a thing of sour cream, and the salsa so they could make my nachos. Now, does that sound like things are being run well? I mean, is that the experience you want? Because you know what? The next time I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm hungry. It's the seventh or eighth inning. I'm ready to go spend some money. But you know what? I'm just going to wait till I get the cork and carry after the game. It, it, it's bad business. You know, you didn't have any food. You had things that were running out that you're promoting. You, you didn't have enough ushers. How are you not prepared? This is just like this is just like game three when they handed out the black towels and they had this really nice thing written on them, like for welcome to the playoffs and Sox Astros. And it was like a collector's item and they didn't expect to win game three. So game four was something that they went and got at the dollar store that didn't have anything written on it. And when game three, there was food everywhere. And game four, they were out of beer halfway through. Like this, who's running things over there? That's like a like a legitimate question. And, you know, it's not my problem. It's Jerry Reinstorf's problem because it's costing him money. It's like every partner that's that's part of the organization should be asking, why do we go through all of the lean times to get to the point where we should be maximizing our profits and we don't have a somebody running the ballpark who can actually make sure that the supply lines are working and that the fans are getting the experience that they paid for. So there, there's a lot of problems. And I, you could say, well, it's just opening day. They had all these problems last year. They had problems with parking last year. Those problems continue this year. Oh, they were bad. We came down 33rd Street and we were forced to make a left, a right, and another right and go all the way around Armor Park just to get back on 33rd Street to pull in the parking lot C. You made people go four extra blocks and wind through the neighborhood just to go that extra. And it wasn't like that that one block was blocked off. That was just the pattern they decided upon. When you pull out of any of the pay lots, Ed, any of the pay lots, and I know this isn't the White Sox, this is also the city of Chicago, but the Sox should be screaming about it. If you buy your parking pass in advance, which is most season ticket holders, which are the most valuable people to the Chicago White Sox, if you have a prepaid parking pass, you have to go to lot A, B, C, or G that's on the north side of the ballpark. There are no prepaid lots on the south end of the ballpark, right? So now wherever you come from, where most White Sox fans are coming from, the south, southwest, or west of the ballpark, when you leave, they force you to go north up the Dan Ryan. They force you out of all those lots, and they make you go down 33rd Street. And when you get to the Lafayette, where you should be able to turn down that frontage road and get on the expressway going south, they make you go across and go north. Now, if you're on Lafayette coming from 31st, like let's say you're already in traffic down Lafayette, you can go right down and get on the Ryan. But the parking lot people are not allowed to make a right turn. They move the barricades and block them from getting on the expressway. So now you've told an entire fan base that comes from the south side, you're going to pay for a premium ticket. You're going to pay for season tickets. You're going to pay for a parking pass. You're our most valuable customer. And after the game at 1030 at night, when it's dark, your option is to go north into the circle 
and drive all around the place and get yourself lost or end up someplace or, or increase your driving time. It makes no sense whatsoever. Or you can beg the guy to let you go across and go down State Street. They had this problem last year. It went away for a couple series and it's back already. The White Sox really need somebody like, like a fan experience czar who starts figuring out these problems because your team is good now and you're unable to handle large crowds. And you should be prepared for them if your team is this good. Especially because it's not just going to be opening day. It's not just going to be the Cubs series. It's not just going to be when the Yankees come to town and those fans travel. It's not just going to be the playoffs. It could be because the team is so good every home game, especially where there's decent weather. You should be prepared for 40,000 people every home game. They can't handle the it. 2022 White Sox, but there's no way they can handle it. They can't handle it. They can't handle the parking. They can't handle the traffic flow. They can't handle the food supplies. They can't handle the, having enough people around the ushers and people to help their guests. They can't handle a large crowd right now. They've got an amazing team on the field. And like I said at the beginning of the show, the White Sox players, managers, coaches, the brain trust behind the product on the field, not only are they great, but they learned from things over the last couple of years. The folks running ballpark operations and the folks running the traffic and the lots and everything around the stadium have learned nothing. And this is going to be the busiest season they probably have ever had at that ballpark since, say, they won the World Series in 05. And they are not prepared. They got to call somebody on the phone. They got to start calling the people that ran the traffic back in 05 and said, how do you do, how did you do this? They got to start calling the people that ran ballpark operations back in 05 and say, how do you do this? Because the people that are running it right now, ill-prepared and unable to handle their crowd. And I do think that if Jerry were to actually experience for himself, he needs to undercover boss this thing, right? Yeah. He goes undercover boss and tries to get a pretzel wrap brat. <laughs> Heads are going to roll. <laughs> I want it, I want Jerry Reinsdorf just one time to get in a car with whoever's in charge of ballpark operations, like whoever's in charge of all this stuff. And I want them to come down the Dan Ryan. I want them to exit at the ballpark. I want them to try to park in the lots that are on the north side. I want them to try to move around the ballpark on a busy day, and I want them to try to leave afterwards. And then I want to see whether or not that guy that's sitting next to him in the car still works for the team the next day. That's what that's what I want to see. I'll take that bet right now. Yeah, I'll take the bet he doesn't get back in the car after the game. <laughs> Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.